Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by a fantastic guest as he shares a ton of actionable tips and strategies for teaching lifelong learners. He's a Hall of Famer, and you may recognize him from that coach's clinic you attended because he's a highly sought-after speaker. He's won the D3 National Championship twice, he's been named National Coach of the Year twice, and he has the winningest record of any D3 coach, active or retired, with an 842 win percentage over a span of 25 years. And the best part is, he's all about practical coaching, just like sweet spotters like it. So grab your pen and paper, or take mental note and go back to it later if you're multitasking. And if you enjoy this kind of thing and want to do more with your girls, head to mentalsweetspot.com and learn about our mental training toolkit. Or if you want an intro to coaching the mental game, including our weekly podcast emails and dream team assessment, you can sign up for that at the website too. So are you ready for this amazing guest? Without further ado, please welcome the University of St. Thomas head coach, John Sheeta. Welcome, coach. All right. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey as a coach and how you got to this point in your career? Yeah, I think I was pretty lucky, number one, uh, playing baseball uh, growing up. I had uh, a Hall of Fame grade school coach, high school coach, and eventually a college coach. So very lucky. And uh, grew up in a household of ball players. Uh, my dad played men's fast pitch at the world level. In fact, they finished as high as third in the world. And then uh, my brothers talked me into it. And uh, so I'd been playing about 30 years of, of world-class softball, usually in the top 10 in the world with our teams, and did that for 30 years. And then uh, somewhere along the line, I was coaching, assistant coaching baseball under Ed Service, who's now at Creighton University, a uh, great coach, great man. And uh, after getting done playing, he asked me to go into coaching. And I was like, uh, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I'll do it. And uh, kind of the... After doing five years of being an assistant, then the athletic director knew about my background in softball. I'm still playing at the time. He asked me to take over uh, the softball team. And uh, then the, kind of the rest is history. That is awesome. And I love that you've had experience on the fast pitch side. Because in Southern California, that wasn't a thing. Men's fast pitch was not big when I was growing up, which is a shame. Because yeah. there amazing men's fast pitch players and they used to have the ganala brothers in california who was really good a world-class team uh, but yeah real good fast pitch hopefully we'll get that back up because i love our game mm-hmm. <laughs> um all right so let's talk about your team now if you could describe this team's culture this year in three words or less what would they be uh well if, if i were to use one word to be self-actualization and uh, the whole mentality is is be the best you you can be in both on and off the field. That's our, our goal. But if I were to give in three words, I guess uh, Kaizen, so continuous improvement. Two would be present, uh, being present in time and place. And then uh, another one I like is Ubuntu uh, with the idea that uh, uh, how could you be happy if the person next to you isn't happy? Oh, such Good ones. Okay. I don't even know where to start. Um, all right. So how have you tried to get these culture words to be just a daily part of being? How do you work on things like Kaizen where it's, it's like the 1% better mentality, getting better each day? What are some things you do in your program to help live that culture? Yeah. I so said, number one, when we, when our girls come to practice, uh, they're asked to bring their notebooks 
and uh, pen in the idea that it's just like your biology class. You're going to learn a lot on a lot of different areas. Uh, could be the sports psychology, could be first and thirds, could be hitting, uh, could be how to be a better teammate. And so they know coming, they're going to learn every day. So my goal is every day of their career, they're going to learn something new all the time. And then uh, uh, then the Kaizen, extra work done consistently. So not just extra work, but extra work done consistently. And so they know the value. And what's really cool is when you see the improvement that a kid has, it's like a game changer. Everybody around them sees the difference and they're like, whoa, four minutes of their life made a huge difference in their career softball. And then, uh, you know, we always acknowledge uh, with the growth versus fixed mindset. So we, we're constantly giving stories of kids who have come here before and who've left. You know, I think a big part of a storytelling. And, uh, and as coaches, it's real important then to acknowledge effort versus performance. And so a kid may be a great player, but you don't want to acknowledge that. You want to uh, acknowledge the fact that they worked hard to become a great hitter. So one example is I'll have our best hitter get up there and we'll say, I want you to hit the opposite hand. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of laughs as they take a swing. I said, no, it's the same athlete, same talent, same power, but just not a very good hitter. And so it shows you that, yes, that's a great athlete, but not a high, highly skilled athlete. It takes a lot of practice and hard work to become the type of hitter that she is. So showing that day to day. And then, uh, you know, we're constantly telling our kids of, you know, what, uh, lose yourself in the process. And a cool story I once heard of is a, uh, a Navy SEAL. They said, you know, how do you sit in the sand in a desert scoping out your mission and waiting to have a kill shot? And how do you do that for hours upon hours, tarantulas crawling over your legs, sweat, and you sit still and he goes, it isn't about me. It's about, I become one with the rifle. In fact, I become the rifle and I lose myself in the mission. And when I do that, I become very good. And uh, so when we're focused about ourselves, I think that becomes a problem. And so you're constantly focused on the mission, and the mission is to become the best you you can be. And then uh, another, you know, a lot of quotes, use a lot of quotes, get fascinated, not frustrated. So when a kid uh, makes a mistake, I should see like a, a very excited look like, how, how, can I, how can I do that again? Give me another chance. So last night I was throwing batting practice to a, a group of uh, at a clinic at some high school kids and, uh, the last kid in there, actually a little eighth grader. And, uh, she, she swing a mess, swing a mess. One more, one more. She just kept saying one more. And I loved it. Right. Uh, and the fact that she just wants to keep trying, she was just excited for the fifth rep as she was the first rep. Oh my gosh. I don't know where to follow up. Cause I've got like eight things I want to touch on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, let's start with the most recent. So Fascinated versus frustrated. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. And it's not easy to retrain your mind how to do because you're going to feel the frustration, but you got to flip it to problem solving, to being more excited about finding the solution, right? Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you've helped grow this point of view as a coach? Because, hey, there are lots of times when we get frustrated too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think... uh... You know, as a, you know, you'll say to a kid, you know, when we're doing drills, uh, like a backhand drill, and we'll measure them, we'll show them. And uh, in fact, I like to I like to bring the freshmen and let the upperclassmen do a drill in front of the freshmen. Let them watch. Like, for instance, a do or die drill and the upperclassmen will just fly through it and do very well. And then I'll say, all right, freshmen want a shot and then they'll get in there. And they, uh, it's funny, on a do or die drill, they 
commonly for five minutes won't complete one good rep. They may field it, but then they'll throw it away, right? And they throw it in the dirt or wherever until five minutes into it. And we've got a lot of all-state players, talented players coming in. And then, uh, then I say, all right, hold the hold, 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 upperclassmen, uh, why don't you go in one more time? So they demonstrate it and do well. And I say, freshman, would you like another shot? And then they go, uh, yeah. And they get in there and they, they are typically don't complete another rep and I'll stop. And I said, no, that's a difference. All the returners look just like you when you're a freshman. You're at a different level and that's okay. Uh, the idea is not where you're at, it's where you end up. And it takes hard work to get there. But you're all just as talented as the upperclassmen. It's just you, you're not skilled as the upperclassmen yet. And that's a real important word. We always say almost everything you put a sentence that's a negative, put comma compared to yet or comma yet. And so then two weeks later, I do the same drill, which is kind of fascinating. Um, two weeks, and I say that as a coach, fascinating, not frustrating. <laughs> uh, two weeks later, we do the drill and, and they fail again. And then I bring them in and I say, now that's the difference. If that were me and I failed that first day, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go practice it to the point where I'm not going to look bad the next day. And that's a pride and you know, a personal responsibility and daily excellence. So pride. So he said, that's the difference. It's not where you're at. It's not how talented you are, what you're willing to do with that talent. And they, that's when you, they start to get the message. It's all about the process. I love that. And I love that you revisit it too, because that to me is the most powerful is not just teaching the lesson, but revisiting when they're almost not expecting it. And mm-hmm. that's when it like really sinks in like, ah, oh, he got me. He's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. And what's also cool is when you, when you get a kid and it's amazing the differences, they, the changes they make, let's say in hitting, We'll take a kid and I'll work with them and uh, everybody will see that they're struggling to rise balls. And then I'll take them aside individually. And five minutes later, they're hitting the rise ball. Then we bring the whole team over and have them watch it. And and then they get to see like, wow, that kid's just totally different after just five minutes. And that turns a light switch on. Hey, maybe that could be me. And then we give a lot of stories of kids that literally did that. They changed their career in those five minutes. And, uh, and it's, and it's very motivating and it's cool because it's not a person you read about in a book. It's a teammate that they can look at or an alumni who will be coming back to visit them. So it's real life examples that is just like them. That's an excellent point. And I think storytelling is something that's severely underrated mm-hmm. in the coaching profession. Uh, how did you come upon this idea and how have you gotten better at it over the years? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about it last night is uh, my first year coaching. Uh, one of the players that I inherited came in and says, oh, yeah, uh, that second year she came back and the second year of me coaching at the university, uh, the kids, oh, yeah, we love hearing your stories. I'm like, <laughs> really? Am I a storyteller? <laughs> you know? but, oh, news to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just something that you, you want to share information and share inspiration. And then as you read more about it, like uh, if you, I'm sure you've read the book Legacy about the All Blacks, New Zealand All Black Rugby, and uh, it, it appears that a lot of what they do is they build their culture through their stories of the past. And the more you look at it, I think the more powerful it is. Obviously, we we uh, uh, pictures are very important. They say a lot by saying very little, right? You just show them a video of it. And what I found is our players, too, when I, when I show them videos of them, such as a backhand or a pitcher taking charge or a pitcher 
taking charge of her own performance by taking a deep breath and being present and not letting the moment get too fast. And I'll have videos of these things and I'll show the players. And then later on, I said, remember the video of Jenny Finch in the World Series when all the fans are biting their nails and they'll remember it right away and they'll, they'll remember the feelings that they had watching it. And when you watch the video that I have, it's like you experience exactly what their experience is. You start to feel the goosebumps and the nervousness. And uh, so when I when I have these visions or those videos or these stories, I think it, it says so much and they remember it, I think, so much better. Absolutely. Ask any kid what coach told them that one day at practice after they <laughs> performed poorly and talking about the drill, they don't remember it. But ask them about their latest rom-com movie. Yeah, <laughs> they right. can tell you the whole thing. Yeah. I think you, you really hit it. It's like bringing the emotion into it. And- yeah, really feeling it. The other thing that kind of hit me too is when they when uh, I read some re- recently. I always say you're your own best coach. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you're going to be with yourself every repetition you ever have. So a good coach is going to be consistent, right? They're going to be watching you. They don't necessarily say anything all the time, but they're be going to consistently watching you and observing and that's what you do is if yourself sometimes you don't watch yourself you're just going through the motions but be very present um having good practices conscientious purposeful practices and uh but what does that mean to be a good coach then it's interesting i read something about if you can't recite such as bunting uh if you can't recite the top 10 things or most important things in bunting how could you coach yourself but yet, if you ask your players, list the five most important things in bunning, you'll see them have a really tough time at coming up with those, which is scary because you want them to coach themselves in the bunning drill that you have over in the corner. Um, so now we put a lot of emphasis on them being able to recite what's important, uh, and therefore they can be their own best coach. Oh, that's an excellent point. I think we coaches all feel there's not enough time <laughs> on the field, right? Right. You always want more practice time. Right. But I think what you're missing out on really is the time for them to coach themselves. Like mm-hmm. you can have eight stations going on at once, even if you can only be at one when they're all self-correcting and learning how to do things, then you got all that time in the world to help them learn. Mm-hmm. That's why I like also the videos of, in fact, I was just doing one just right before the podcast is uh, just taking parts of a swing and showing the little movements. And I like movements rather than this whole series. I like uh, athletic movements. So there are four movements in the swing, four movements in throwing or whatever it may be. And then have shown them videos so they, they know what it looks like. And hopefully it was something cool. I've, I've watched a lot of Japanese videos and watching them teach. And one thing I notice about them is they're active listeners, way better than we are. And uh, and actively listening means the coach is talking about, let's say, the arm action. You'll see most of the players actually doing the arm actions as the coach talks about it. So that's something I encourage our players to do when I'm talking about something, actively do it so you understand it at a different level. I love that. Yeah, the feeling it, I think, is the next step. I think seeing it is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you used video and stories to really keep pushing that growth mindset? Cause I think it got a little misconstrued for a while there where people thought like, Oh, if I just say good try all the time, that's mm-hmm. growth mindset. Like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not always. Um, how did you use it to show them 
how to keep growing. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot there's a lot of little clip, clips, especially with the Twitter, and you know people do a lot of work for you actually. And uh, one clip that keeps in mind, I remember seeing a, a UCLA basketball player must have just missed a shot or fouled somebody and a bad mistake. And he's got his head down. You could see his frustration. Then his little teammate, a little guard that's about a foot shorter, uh, comes up and puts his hand underneath his chin and lifts his chin up. And uh, what's pretty cool is, one, the guy was aware that his teammate was not presenting himself the best way, body language. And your body language is a, you know, you, I say you speak so loudly, I can't hear you with your body language. So your body language just speaks loud. So this little guard comes over, pushes his chin up. And so one, that guy was a good leader. He, he was outside of himself looking at his teammates and how they affected the game. And two, the kid whose chin was pushed up uh, kind of caught himself and then put his chin up, chest out, and then walked the proper way. So it's cool. He didn't kind of like push his hand away. He just, he realized he's, he was what we call stinking thinking and his teammate helped get him on track. And so when I show them little clips like that, it's just, there's the little reminders of not only of yourself and your sports psychology, use of sports psychology, but also your teammates and how they can remind you. So I love advertising works. I'm pretty sure everybody can make a burger better than McDonald's, but McDonald's makes a lot of money on burgers. And so the advertising really works. So we try to have a lot of advertisements around our office and uh, the stories are advertisements of what we're trying to do with our culture and our psychology that we use. That, oh, so good. I love all this. All right. Next thing I want to take into Ubuntu. I Mm -hmm. love this concept. So what are some ways that you've seen this go the wrong way? Uh, I think it might be an American thing or it might just be a human thing. We go inward immediately when we feel bad about ourselves or we're unhappy with the situation. Um, but Ubuntu is all about your teammates, right? Mm-hmm. How do you pick up the kids and teach them who are just really hard on themselves and have a hard time getting out of their own head? Yeah, interesting. You know, Ubuntu kind of set it up. Not everybody's probably aware of it. Ubuntu... Uh, and I've heard different uh, means and I've read different things on it, but uh, there was an African tribe and a tribal leader said, there's a bowl of fruit underneath the tree. The first one to get to the fruit gets all the fruit. And uh, a bunch of youngsters go sprinting after it. And then somewhere along the line, all of a sudden they slow down and they held hands around the bowl of fruit and they touched the fruit at the same time. So they could all have the fruit. And then, and then the tribal leader asked, well, what the heck, what, what's going on? What's I said, well, if I was happy and nobody else was, how could I possibly be happy? And uh, so if everybody's happy, then it's a, then I feel more complete. And so kind of looking out for each other. So one of the things that, that, uh, and a, a cool statistic I saw is uh, we're all 99.999% genetically the same. So when you look at it, it's like, that's a phenomenal percentage, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it, it means, you know, we're, we're in it together. And uh, let's work with each other, regardless of color or beliefs or religions. And, and I think right away when you start to explain that, I think it breaks some of the barriers down. But as a player who's struggling, it's kind of cool. We, we do this in practice. So we go about half hour of our practice in February and March is all sports psychology. And then after the half hour, we go do our physical skills and try to keep those psychology principles throughout our practice. But 
Uh, and then after the first two months, then we just, it's a part of us and we've been trained in mentally and how to use them. But all of a sudden a pitcher would say, will be struggling and, uh, and on a bunt drill and throw it away and would bunt another ball out or she'll throw it away. And actually we'll keep the pressure on her just like a team would and force her to keep making plays. And, uh, and I can think of one situation or a kid who was really under control. All of a sudden she just, she just spiraled out of control. And usually she would catch herself, but she wasn't. So we let her keep spiraling out of control. And then eventually I stopped practicing and brought everybody in. And I said, uh, what? Uh, I said, well, how did that go? <laughs> and the players almost in tears, <laughs> almost punched me in the face. <laughs> uh, but it, it was very done very purposefully. And uh, so she, she's kind of gives me the stink eye. And I said uh, to the team, I said, now what if you were – Kendra, Kendra, what would you have done differently? And everybody's like totally scared to say a word, right? And she right. kind of gives, them, gives me and then I kind of look at the other one, but she's kind of disappointed in herself. And I said, better yet, you know, I'm only allowed a couple timeouts, so I can't go out there all the time. And things happen and things, kids do spiral. So I'm going to need some other coaches. Um, so if all of a sudden the game and I already did, had my timeout, what are we going to do? What would you do to help her get on track? She's smart. She knows how to handle this. She's done it before, but for whatever reason, this particular day is a tough day for her. And she's gone in a spiral of stinking thinking. And then all of a sudden the players started coming up with all these suggestions. Of course, a lot of them that we've talked about, but one of my favorite ones is, uh, especially for people that are probably 30 something and over. A lot of us have heard the term, you're playing out of your mind. Oh man, she played out of her mind. And like he's in the zone and uh, playing out of your mind means you're external, you're excellent, narrow, external and broad. One or the other, it's outside of your brain because uh, most peak performances occur external with external vision and concentration. And yet when we struggle, a lot of times we're focused on ourselves, and it's internal and uh, focus on ourselves, And there's a lot of problems. But when we focus on the externals, others or the situation, we tend to be happier and so one of the things we have our players do, a catcher in particular, would walk out to the pitcher or an infielder and, and grab the kid by the elbow, uh, kind of give a firm grip or a pat on the shoulder. Or a firm, and what will happen is the kid's kind of in their head internally, and then they kind of shake their head real quick to the side to see who just touched them. And they're like, what? What do you need? And, and now we've got them outside of their own brain to now take information that, that they could actually use. And now we can actually talk to them because when a kid's struggling, they're just internal and they, they don't really don't hear anything. They're just thinking of their misery and what's happening. So we got to get them outside of their brain first so we can throw something in their brain. Oh, yeah. I was that kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it takes more than just like get out of your head. Kid. Yeah, no. My response was always, okay, I would love, I would love that. Teach yeah. me how. <laughs> so I like that kind of little bit of jarring like, hello. Mm-hmm. snap back into it yeah and sometimes humor does that something completely off the wall that just shakes them out of the situation <laughs> like what yeah. and they're trying to figure out what you just said like a girl is she made like uh three years she's a stud shortstop and she made three years for us and just one of those bad days for her and i call time out and there's a plane going overhead and i said hey geez i think the sniper's up there 
and because she <laughs> fell over her shoelaces, you know. Oh, and, no. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was funny. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> but she was laughing in her head. Probably yeah. Just a minute. <laughs> and what happened? Then the rest of her teammates start laughing and say, "Hey, you know, we're getting our butts kicked. So, so what? You know, so what? Next pitch, we'll be able to play him in about a week. We get another opportunity to play him." Some days it's just not our day. You know, one of the things you can't do is get too low or too high. And sometimes humor helps that. And that kid wasn't ready for the humor. But I think later on, obviously, a laugh. <laughs> but as a whole, the team needed it. And the team needed mm-hmm. to realize this is not life or death. This is the coaches laughing. Uh, you'll have your good days and bad days. Just get over your bad days faster than the other team. And you're going to be more consistent. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to your other point about... <sighs> like your mood or whatever your emotion is, it rubs off on others too. So how can I be happy if others around me aren't? It's a Mm -hmm. literal thing. Have you ever gone into some place feeling like, ah, this is going to be a great day. And then everyone around you is grumpy and then you become grumpy. You you aren't (laughs) kidding, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's cool. It's what makes us human is we feel, you know, when somebody gets hurt, everybody, you know, they, they gasp for air. Like, Oh my God, you know, you feel the pain and that's a cool thing about humans. And so we have to be very aware of our body language and our expressions uh, because we do affect other people. Mm -hmm. But then it's just as easy to bring them on to the other side. Oh yeah. And and we're all human. So we'll have bad days and bring it, but that's what we tell the players. Hey, we need uh, energizers too. We we can't always be the person bringing the energy. We need you guys to bring us the energy. Mm-hmm. So going back to the whole team now. So going into this season in particular, is there anything that you've kind of got on your radar other than the usual up and downs that you want to make sure that you're on top of or get ahead of that might chip at the culture you're building? Yeah. So, you know, we're always aware of the culture and we keep an eye on it. So we've got things put in place. When I first started at two different schools, I was amazed at how bad it was and nothing against whoever was there before, but uh, I was shocked at how they treated each other and the, the, even a recruit coming in, how they treated them. And uh, it was really shocking. It was like, how could you t- treat a human like that, much less a teammate like that or a recruit like that? And uh, so it just showed me that there's probably a lot of bad cultures and without a knowledge of sports psychology or team psychology, uh, you know, life is going to be difficult. So we're constantly aware of that. We've built uh, traditions in place. We've built systems in place to make sure that we have a better culture. Um, And like one of the systems is uh, whenever you play catch, you always play catch with a new teammate. Every drill we try to do, we try to get with a new teammate. And uh, if you throw a ball off of my shin, everybody laughs, right? The, the player is like, oh, they just hit Coach G. You know? <laughs> and uh, it's funny. I've been there, you know. So it's it's uh, it's a funny experience where one player would come in and she'd be sprinting in and all of a sudden she'd fall at my feet and grab my leg trying to keep herself up. And and everybody's laughing, you know, awkward moment. And uh, But anybody who saw it as something, you're going to bring it up later on. Like, oh, my God, I remember that time. So just spending time and allowing those moments to happen, bring you closer together. It's a common experience. So some colleges have common experiences where they read the same book and uh, so they can experience some of the same things. And that's what we want as our players is that constantly change partners, all freshmen. So we have our upperclassmen raise their hand. Let's say, all right, I want you guys uh, throwing. Let's do this drill. The upperclassmen raise their hand and then a freshman looks for a hand that's raised and the freshmen run over to that, the first hand they see. 
and uh, we want a different partner every day. So I'm very aware of if they're the same people uh, playing catch or hitting together. So something simple as that, or when we go to the cafeteria or restaurant, uh, they should always sit at the first table. Don't look around to see where Jill is. Just sit at the first table that's open. And all of a sudden, we get way more comfortable with all of our teammates. Yeah, it's those little things that really kind of help just open up the conversation to people that you don't talk with as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember the when I <laughs> first uh, day of handing out uniforms, we had all of our stuff there. And then all of a sudden, we realized, like, I think, it was belts. We didn't have the belts there. So I say, hey, can somebody run and grab the belts from the other room? And then I had a senior yell out, hey, freshman, run and get the belts. And uh, so that was like fingernails on a chalkboard, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, no, no, no. If you're going to be a leader, you need to lead by example first. So seniors, why don't you guys run down and get that? <laughs> and and that, that's the first day as a team together, right? And right away they started learning this is not a hierarchy. This is a team. And leaders, uh, you can open your mouth, but nobody's going to follow you if you don't lead by example. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of little lessons of, of and then being uh, servants rather than tyrant leaders. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, when, and I, we give examples of former teammates we've had or leaders. And, and uh, it's pretty cool how one person can have a ripple effect on. So uh, Tim Piaski is a former teammate of mine. He's a great guy. I'm walking on a bus. I'm the last person on a bus. I was the so-called senior uh, freshman captain, so making sure all the equipment's on. So I'm coming on, and all of a sudden, all the seats are taken. So, like, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. It's a nice to have your own seat. And all of a sudden, the best player on the team, Tim Piaski, says, hey, John, why don't you sit next to me? The best player does that, right? That's awesome. And he's super funny, and I laugh the whole way. I'm like, you know, when I become a leader, that's the leader I want to become. Somebody's welcoming and and treats everybody equally respectfully. So good. That's a <laughs> that's a great teammate. Props to him. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I'd be super awkward. Like I'll sit on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it's uncomfortable, right? And you're yeah. freshman, so. But uh, so, and we give our kids those stories about you know when you're a leader, when you come back as an alumni, you want everybody excited to see you back. You know, are you the big sister they couldn't wait to see? And so to be very, my old high school coach says, your goal should be the most liked person on the team. And I say it a little bit hesitantly because sometimes that's the party goer, <laughs> whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the meaning was that uh, when somebody gets a hit, be the most excited person for them. Ah, so good. Okay. And you'd be mindful of your time. I could keep mm-hmm. you here for hours. Uh, we can give one more piece of advice to coaches trying to build these strong cultures and build up these young women to be leaders like you've done. What one extra tip would you give them? Yeah, I think um, uh, a little little thing about culture is just, you know, treating people the way you would want to be treated and treating people. Like if, if you want to win a national championship, you got to have all your freshmen got to feel like seniors, which is hard to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So re- because they don't have the knowledge, because their skill set isn't up to par yet, typically, so, but to make them feel like they're very important. And Ubuntu is, you know, even our, our worst, so-called worst player, we want them to feel like they're just as important on the team. When our star player hits a home run, like in the playoffs, um, uh, we can't have everybody on a bench. That's an NCAA rule. So we have kids in the stands. And it's really cool. Nikki Connolly is this kid that started this tradition. She hits a home run, high-fives her teammates at the plate, and then she ran over to the grandstand 
and high-fived all of her teammates who couldn't be on the bench. I love that. Yeah, just awesome. And then when we meet after a playoff game, you have your quiet place where nobody can come in. Well, we walk over to the fence so all of our subs can come over to the fence and be a part of our conversation. So it's just being aware is how does everybody feel and can you include them as much as possible? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's not, not not super easy when you're thinking about a million things as a coach, but it is that important. Yes. And that is a wrap for today's episode. To keep up with the St. Thomas team this season, follow them on Twitter at UST Softball or on Instagram at Tommy Softball. That's T-O-M-M-I-E Softball. So did you love this episode as much as I did? If so, then we'd truly appreciate if you share this episode with a friend who also believes in teaching lifelong learners. Subscribe to the show in your podcast player of choice and give us a five-star review. All of this helps us get the word out about our show, which allows us to bring in more fantastic guests like this so we can all keep leveling up our skills in coaching the mental game and make an even bigger impact on our girls. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to me at melatmentalsweetspot.com, shoot me a message on Twitter at Coach Mel Rushing, or join our free Facebook group, Mental Sweet Spot Coaches Club. Thank you again for joining us and have a good one.